Girlfriends, episode number 210, six tips for parenting big kids. Hello, and welcome to Girlfriends. I'm Danielle Bean. I'm a wife and a mom, and I'm on a mission to help you know your worth as a woman so you can find peace, balance, and joy in family living. This week, we are talking about parenting big kids, even maybe some all grown up kids. How do we do that? Let's get started. Hey, girlfriends, how are you? So glad you are here joining me for the newest episode of the Girlfriends Podcast. Always thrilled to be able to connect with you here on the podcast. So exciting times because this past week, my new book launched. So my newest book is available from Ave Maria Press. It's called Giving Thanks and Letting Go, Reflections on the Gift of Motherhood. It's newly available from Ave Maria Press. You can get the link in the show notes at ascensionpress.com or on Amazon or just click any of the links in my social media. I've been promoting it recently. Um, so in this book, I am looking at life as I see it now as a mom, 25 years into this marriage thing with um, adult children, growing up children, teenage children, big kids in my life. And um, so my very first book I ever wrote was called My Cup of Tea, Musings of a Catholic Mom. And it was a series of personal essays that I shared from my perspective as a mom of a very young family at that time. We had six kids at the time. We went on to have two more all inside of 12 years. So what I share inside the pages of that book is a very personal look at my life as a young mom in a young family with young kids. And when I went back recently and reread that book, I thought I need to write this again, from my perspective now. Not that I regret anything I wrote in that first book, but I'm a different person and our family life is very different. I have a different perspective on many of the themes that I took up in that first book. So that's what I did in this newest book, Giving Thanks and Letting Go, was I went back and I looked at some of those themes I talked about in that first book and took them on from a fresh perspective today as a more experienced mom, from my experience as a mom of older kids, as a mom of kids who are leaving the nest as a mom of an emptying nest. Um, so really, I found that my perspective now is very different. Some things are very much the same. And I, I wanted to kind of reflect on those things. And so inside of this book, which really was a very emotional book for me to write, I'm pouring out my heart into the pages of this book. I'm really just sharing deeply from my heart about this new phase, this new stage of motherhood. Because you know what? I found that it was hard to find people who were talking openly about the challenges of being a mom of older kids, about the very real challenges of changing and adapting as your family life changes and grows, sometimes in ways that you love, in ways that you expect, sometimes in ways that you don't love, in ways that you don't expect, in ways you never would have dreamed of, in ways you never would have hoped for, in ways you never would have chosen even. So there are trials and there are triumphs and there are real joys and real challenges in this newest stage of motherhood. And that's what I wanted to share openly about inside of this book, Giving Thanks and Letting Go. So at the end of today's episode, I've gotten permission from Ave Maria Press to share a chapter of it. So I'm going to read the first chapter of it at the end of today's show. But first, I want to get a little bit practical because you know what? This book is not a how-to it's really very much a sharing from my heart. Like here's, 
here's my, my look at these things. Here's my perspective on these things. How about you? It's really an inviting of conversation in that way. It's not a how-to. It's not a, it doesn't have discussion questions at the end of each chapter. It's really not something that you're going to use in that kind of way, but really, honestly, very much a kind of spiritual memoir, a memoir of family life, um, a memoir of the ways in which I've grown and changed as a mom, as a Catholic, as a daughter of God, as a wife over these years of parenting. So since the book is not a how-to, I thought maybe we could still take up some of those topics here on the podcast, and I can share a little bit of how-to with you here, because this is also something that I'm discovering many of us are hungry for at this stage in our parenthood, is how do I change and adapt to being a mom of older kids? What are some things that I should know? What are some things I should keep in mind? What are some things I should do? What are some things I shouldn't do? You know? from somebody who's been there a little bit. I'm not saying I'm an expert on these things, but I have had a bit of experience at this. And these are just six things that I think I would share with somebody who's kind of going through this phase of life. Or, you know, maybe you're here looking ahead to it, thinking, how am I ever possibly going to survive that stage of life when my kids are big, when my kids might even be moving out, going to college, that kind of thing. So, on the show today, I'm going to be sharing six tips for parenting big kids. If you're new here to the Girlfriends Podcast, I'm hoping you're going to stick around. I'm hoping that today's show will be helpful to you and that you'll come back for more. But just know um, I'm very much a fan of these numbered lists. <laughs> I like my bullet points. I like my lists. So not every week, but many weeks, I do share a list in this way. So six tips for parenting big kids. Let's Let's dive in here. Let's talk about this. So the first one I want to share with you is don't take stuff personally. Of course, parenting is a very personal thing. These are deeply personal relationships that are so important and valuable to us that we have with our children inside of our parenting journey, but really important to not take certain things personally. When our kids grow up and begin to make, you know, decisions on their own, maybe completely ignore the advice you might have given them or even very hurtfully ignore the way that you've raised them, reject some of your values. It's really hard to not feel like they are personally rejecting you, even if it's just about like what kind of car they buy, even if it's not about something very important like their faith or who they're going to marry or whatever, um, or where they're going to go to school or, you know, sometimes these big life decisions, they need to figure out for themselves. And I find it's helpful to remember not to take it personally. And one thing that helps me to remember not to take it personally is to remember my own decisions that I made as a young adult. And I certainly didn't make any decisions um, to reject the faith that I was given. I, I was very blessed to be raised in the faith and very blessed to be able to live a life where I've pretty much remained steady in my Catholic faith into my adult years and beyond. Um, but thinking about some of the things I might have done that were you know, different from the way that my parents would have expected, or maybe even the way they would have hoped that I would have chosen. Different decisions I've made, and some of them have been good for good. Some of them I have learned lessons from because they weren't so good. Um, but that I really needed to be able to make those decisions on my own. And the, when I made those decisions, this is the part that's helpful, reflecting on the fact that when I made those decisions, it wasn't at all about rejecting my parents. It wasn't about that at all. It was about me establishing myself as an independent young adult who could make those decisions for myself. Sometimes I made decisions to do things differently from how things were done in my own household, in my own young family. And 
that wasn't a rejection of the way I was raised. I'm so grateful for the way I was raised. I'm so grateful for the beautiful childhood that my parents gave me and for the upbringing in the Catholic faith, especially that they gave me. But we haven't done everything identically to the way that I was raised, um, especially because I, I married Dan. And sometimes he brought things to the table that were outside of my own experience in raising a family. And we discerned together what was best for the way we were going to raise our family. But when it was different, even when it was significantly different from the way that I was raised, that wasn't at all a rejection of the way that I was raised. It wasn't a personal thing with my parents at all. So even though I completely understand, it is 100% understandable that you're tempted to take it personally. Sometimes when your children are do things you know that you wouldn't want them to do, make decisions, even about small things, sometimes that can be hurtful. It's not about you. I know it's it can feel like it is, um, but I think it's really helpful to just remind yourself not to take it personally and to know, very humbly know as a parent, you're not always going to be the one who can meet their needs. And you're not always going to be the one who has the best advice for them. That was something I really had to come to terms with as my kids got older, even about small things like with regard to their schooling or um, even personal relationships, that sometimes my kids would turn to someone else, maybe um, an aunt of theirs or maybe um, the youth minister at our church or some other trusted adult in their lives. They were turning to these people sometimes for things as simple as help with their algebra or um, you know, a counseling session about a friendship that they were struggling with. And that could be hurtful a little bit because I was like, wait a minute, you're not going to ask me about those things. You're not going to come to me for those. Not that I want to do algebra. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but, you know, realizing that other people are sometimes going to meet their needs in a way that you can't. And that's okay. That is part of what God intends for them growing up and becoming more independent. Now, of course, I'm speaking very generally here, and some of this could apply to teenagers, even middle school grade kids, um, but um, but young adults too, especially. And so in not taking it personally, it's important for you to look for ways that you can support them in making good decisions in their lives, ways that maybe aren't going to involve you? How can you support them in having the kinds of influences that are going to be good for them in their lives? Support them in making good friendships, support them in making good dating decisions. How can you support them? You know, the question goes very much away from uh, very much uh, hand-to-hand, mom-to-kid interpersonal interaction where you're involved in every moment of their every day. That's a very natural part of when they're younger. But as they grow older, they kind of transition into more independence and more independence and sometimes in painful ways that can feel like a rejection of us. They're looking for other things that they can have in their lives, other relationships they can have in their lives that are going to support them, that are going to help them meet their goals. How can you right now support them in making sure those are good things that they have going on in their lives. So rather than take it personally, look for ways that you can be supporting them outside of what your traditional role has been, outside of being the one that they're turning to perhaps. So don't take it personally. That's number one. Number two, pray. Okay, I should have put this first. (laughs) And we talk about this all the time here on the podcast. Pray. Prayer is so powerful, so powerfully important, such an important thing that we can do in our kids' lives. But you know what? When my kids were all very small, when I had eight kids under the age of 12, I wasn't praying a ton for them. I I wasn't praying a ton, period. It was hard to find time for prayer. It was hard to find time for focused prayer, especially. And now life is different. 
I'm at a different stage in my parenting, I'm at a different stage of life, a different stage of family life here. There's more quiet in my life. I have more time. I have more time for rest. I have more, more time for prayer, I have more time for pursuits of my own. But take advantage of that. If you are a parent of young adult children, they need your prayers. Even if all is going swimmingly, being a young person in today's world is a very challenging thing. It's a very hard thing. And they need the support of your prayers. And sometimes we're tempted to kind of dismiss prayers like, oh, all I can do is pray and kind of roll our eyes about it, right? Like it's not really that meaningful or valuable. It is meaningful. It is valuable. It is so important. You can pray. This is a beautiful way you can support your kids. And here's the good part. You don't even have to ask their permission for it. If you're going through a tough stage in your parenting of a young adult child who might be rejecting you in ways that are hurtful, might be rejecting the faith that you tried so hard to bring them up in and sacrificed so hard to give them, but you can pray for them and you don't even need their permission to do it. Pray to their guardian angels. Pray for them to have good friendships. Pray for their future spouses. Pray for the people that they're dating. Pray for them to meet good people and have good influences in their lives, especially as you are becoming less of an influence in their life. You have more time to devote to that now. So look for ways that you can pray and even offer up, sacrifice things for your kids. Offer up your day in a very intentional way for your older kids. It's really a powerful way to feel connected to your kids outside of time. And um, even if you're not having a conversation with them on any particular day, they are in your heart. They are in your mind if they are in your prayers. So make sure you're taking advantage of the opportunity that you have to pray for your kids. You know, we sometimes despair because we can't control it, right? We want to control what they're doing, who they're seeing, how they're living their lives, or they go off to college and there's so much you don't know. Are they going to go to mass on Sunday? I don't know, right? You don't know. And that can be a very challenging thing to come to terms with. But prayer gives you the opportunity in those moments where you otherwise might be becoming anxious, where you might be tempted toward anxiety or stress about the decisions they're making. Prayer gives you the opportunity to do something, do something positive to really affect your child's life in a very positive way. So look for ways that you can pray for them more, pray for them more intentionally, offer up for them. Okay, number three, respect their space. This is so hard because they're our kids, right? So they belong to us. And so we should, there should be no their space in our space, right? But it's really important if you want to remain on good terms with your young adult kids, your even your older teenage kids to respect their privacy in some basic ways. If they're living on their own, call them before you drop in, you know, respect the fact that they have their own schedules, their own time. This is something we struggle with, um, with our young adult daughter who's married and living on her own now. Sometimes it can be tempting to be like, what are you doing? Get over here. Why aren't you here with us? Right? She has her own life. She has her own work. She has her own husband, her own family now. And it's important to respect that. But even before your kids are at that stage, even if they're just maybe away at school, Respect the fact that they have their own schedules and their own priorities, and perhaps you want them to come home for something and they're not able to because of some other commitment they've made. Respect that. 
Don't be demanding of their time in a way that's going to turn them off to you, in a way that's going to make them resent the influence that you have in their lives, in a way that's going to kind of bully them into making time and space for you. Be respectful of the fact that they are young adults. And it can be helpful to remember when you were a young college student, even when you were in high school, um, in, in what ways would you have responded if your parent were making the kinds of demands on your, your time, your space, your schedule, your energy in the way that you're tempted to with your kids? I get it. I know it's completely understandable because they're your kids, right? And we can feel like we should be able to control them and they should be answering to us. But be respectful of that and that will bear such good fruit in your relationship. Don't you want them to want to be with you? then give them the opportunity to choose it. God gives us such a great example here because of course he loves us and he wants us to love him, but he doesn't demand that we love him. He doesn't demand that we choose a relationship with him. He invites and then he patiently waits for us to make that choice. He gives us free will. Respect the fact that God also gave your big kids free will. Now, of course, this needs to be applied in age-appropriate ways. If your big kid is 14 years old, that applies in a certain way, and there are certain limitations to the kind of space and privacy that you give to a 14-year-old, but then it's very different when he's a 24-year-old, right? So be open to the kinds of changes and transitions that need to be taking place inside of that relationship with your growing child through the years. So respect their space. Okay, number four, that said... You can set standards when they are in your home. So this is a common thing that I hear from parents about and something for sure I've experienced myself. When your kids go away to college and then they come back home, that can be a tricky relationship to navigate because if your child has been child, I like using the word child. They are still a child. They are still your child, even if they're 20 years old and away at school. But if your your child is coming home and staying with you in the summer or on school break or whatever it is, um, they've been used to making their own curfews, setting their own schedules, not answering to anybody for certain things, for how they eat, how they sleep, where they go, who they're communicating with. And this can be tricky because if they are in your home, you can so set some standards. And one of the standards you might want to set is we go to church. Now, I've heard from parents, I, thankfully, I have not experienced this myself and this kind of challenge with, with my um, young adult children, but I've heard from many parents who experience this, that their their child is away from the faith and they come home for the weekend. And what do you do? Well, you can set that standard. Here in this house, on Sunday mornings, we get up and we go to Mass. If you're not participating in our faith right now, um, that makes me very sad, and it's something we're, we're praying for you about, but you're going to come to Mass with us and you're going to sit in the pew with us. That's a normal standard that you can require in your home. But even in lesser ways, not something as dramatic as them refusing to go to Mass, um, perhaps they're not respecting any kind of curfew in your home. And you might want to experiment with that a little bit. It might not make sense to set a curfew, but to some extent, it does make sense to require that they be communicating with you. They might, might not be accustomed to letting anybody know when they're going to be home, who they're out with, when they'll be back, that kind of thing. But that's not babysitting. That's not treating them like a child. That's basic consideration for the other people that you're sharing your living space with. Letting people know where you're going to be and when to expect you back is normal behavior 
even between adults that are living in the same spaces, even if you were just their roommate. That's normal expected behavior. So it's normal to set that kind of standard for your young, young adult child if they're living with you for a summer or on a school break. Like, communicate with me. Tell me where you are and when I can expect you home. Uh, even if only for the sake of planning mealtimes or planning use of cars or, um, you know, who's going to be home to feed the cat, you know, basic stuff. This is life, kids. This is part of the life lesson you can teach them, that it's basic consideration for the people that you are living with to communicate about these things. It doesn't have to be seen as something that's very restrictive on their newfound freedoms, but um, expecting basic communication about them, I think, is a very reasonable standard to set. So there are other kinds of standards things that you might want to set for standards in your home, standards for behavior, standards for communication, standards for use of common areas, cleaning up after yourself, those kinds of things, absolutely normal and very good to set those kinds of standards for your big kids when they are home with you. All right. Number five tip that I want to share with you for parenting big kids is Get into their life a little bit. Now, I already told you to <laughs> respect their space, and that still applies. But get into their life in that you're going to show interest in their life. Ask them about their friends, not in an annoying, prying way, but find out who they're hanging out with and what their friends are like and why they enjoy those people. Ask them about their classes. Ask them what they're learning, what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, what they're struggling with. Have conversations with them about these very basic things that are making up their lives. As they are getting older, it might be with high schoolers who are still in your home. If they're at high school, I know I've experienced this with my high school age kids, they're out of the house for most of every day between school, sports, extracurricular activities, work. I, I always find that those high school years are sort of a practice for when they're going to be moved out, going to college perhaps altogether, because especially in their junior and senior years of high school, they tend to get very busy and they're not around a whole lot. So when you are together, find out what they're doing, what they're spending their time on, what that's like. Ask what's going on with their friends. Ask, you know, um, what's going on at their workplaces, what they're enjoying in their classes. Ask about the things that matter to them. Give them an opportunity to share with you what's going on in their lives. Like I said, not in a prying kind of demanding way, but in an interested in what they're doing, <laughs> interested in what's important to you kind of way. Ask them questions. Um, this can be accomplished if you are managing to have some mealtimes together. Maybe they're not always home for dinner, but it's a natural way for you to connect if they are to make sure that you're sitting down together, whether it's breakfast, lunch, or dinner, setting, sitting down and sharing a meal together can be a very natural way to kind of share what's going on in their lives and here's the flip side, an opportunity for you to share what's going on with you. What's going on with your work? What's going on with some of your friendships? What are you involved in at church? What's keeping you busy? What's keeping you worried? What are you concerned with these days? What are you happy about? I find that this is one of the special joys of parenting older kids is you can begin to connect with them in a peer-to-peer -peer kind of way. Of course, they're your children, so it's never going to be completely peer-to-peer, -peer, but I have always loved getting to know the real people, the individuals, unique individuals that my children are growing up to be, the people that God wants them to be. What a joy, what a privilege, what an honor to be able to watch them 
turn into the people that God has created them to be and then relate to them as those beautifully unique individuals and come to learn that your own kids are sometimes your favorite people to hang out with. They're really enjoyable and fun, and you can be connecting in real ways with them. So in order to do that, you've got to be stepping outside of that mother-child relationship just a little bit. Relate to them as you would a friend some of the time in ways that are appropriate. I'm never going to tell you that parenting your child is about trying to be their best friend because there's no <laughs> there's no better formula for messing it all up than to try to be your child's best friend, especially in their younger years. But as they get older, it becomes very appropriate for you to be friends with one another. It becomes appropriate for you to relate to one another back and forth about the things that matter to you. So look for ways that you can do that. Authentic connections with your growing up kids. All right, number six is related to number five. And number six is listen more, advise less. Now we all need this reminder because they are our kids. And I know I do this. Our natural inclination with all of our kids is to tell them what to do. We've spent 18 plus years telling them what to do and it's been our job to tell them what to do. They needed us to tell them what to do. How are we supposed to stop now? <laughs> well, I'm telling you, it's important for your health of your relationship with your growing up, grown up child and whatever stage they're at, that you respect this a little bit. Sometimes it's really important to just listen to them, to hear where they are, to hear where they might even be struggling, and then hold back from that temptation to dive in and tell them what they should do. First of all, we don't always know. We're not always the experts, especially if their lives are very different from our own or if they're experiencing something we haven't experienced. If they're not asking for your advice, then maybe they're just turning to you as a trusted person that they can confide in, a person they can vent to, someone they can turn to and share what's going on in their lives and come away feeling supported and encouraged and loved and prayed for. Maybe you can be that safe place for them to land. But I can tell you, nothing will make you less of a safe place to land if they feel that you're judging them or you're demanding things of them because of what you hear that they're struggling with, or if you're getting upset right along with them and beginning to demand that they respond in a certain way. None of, none of that is going to encourage the kind of real connection that I know you want to have with your growing up and grown up kids. Respect the fact that they are turning to you and this is a privilege and an honor to be a part of their lives in this way. And unless they are asking for your advice, then it's probably best to hold back and offer encouragement, offer support, offer prayer. Let them know that you are available if they need help in some practical way, but hold yourself back from jumping in and taking over. Because you know what? They can, first of all, they could resent that and reject you. But then the other negative thing that could happen is they could accept that and then they won't learn what God means for them to learn inside of that situation. They will just remain dependent on you in a way that's not natural and not healthy for that particular stage of their life. I find it helpful to think sometimes about when um, my toddlers were small and they would fall and get hurt. And there was always, I know you know this, there was always this pause, right? They might fall off their bike and scrape their knee. And there's this pause where they're trying to figure out Am I going to cry? Am I going to go running to mom? And I always found that it was inside of that 
moment, that powerful moment where they're trying to decide how to respond to this hurt, this struggle, this whatever is going on with them, that if you rush in and soothe them, comfort them, um, try to make it all go away, that, you know, sometimes they'll accept that. Sometimes um, some of my kids would get angry if I rushed in too quickly to try to comfort them. Um, but other times they, they're not going to learn how to discern things on their own, how to handle things on their own. And, you know, in very big ways, in very different ways, they're struggling and and learning to do that on their own as young adults. And you need to allow them the opportunity and the space to do that. So that might mean just biting your tongue a little bit. Even if you know the perfect answer, you know, you can let them know that you're available if they want your advice, but then if they're not asking for it, it's probably not appropriate for you to be giving it. And you might even be hurting your relationship a little bit if you are giving it, if that is your response to the times that they come to you and share with you. Ask how you can support them. I find that's a helpful way to respond. If you're tempted to offer advice, rather than offering the advice, let them know that you understand how they're feeling, that you're sorry they're going through something hard. Let them know you're going to be praying for them and then ask them, how can I support you? What can I do for you? They might have a concrete example of something they'd like for you to do, or they might ask you a question. They might ask you for advice in that moment, but they also might not, and you need to be prepared for that. It might not be the role that you're meant to play right then. And then you can go back to that square one and, and be praying for them, praying for them to find the support they need, praying for them to find the people in their lives that are going to perhaps meet that need that they don't want or don't need you to meet at this stage in their life. So very hard, so very hard. And yet these are the ways that we are called to evolve inside of our parenthood as our kids are getting bigger. So these are my six tips that I wanted to share. I just wrote some down. I could probably write down 200. <laughs> and I bet you have some of your own to share. So I would love to hear from you if you do have some that you'd like to share with me. You can email me, danielle at daniellebean.com. But you know what? If this is something that you are dealing with in your life, know that you're not alone in it. That's a big part of what I wanted to share inside of my new book, Giving Thanks and Letting Go, was just the idea that we're not alone in this new stage of parenthood. I found that as my kids were little, I could find all the advice in the world about potty training, about dealing with the terrible twos, about kids starting school, about learning to read, about schooling choices, discipline for young kids, all of these things. I could find people sharing very openly and in helpful, practical ways. But in this stage of life, people tend to get quiet. And you know, there's a good reason for that because we are respecting our big kids' privacy. Also, it gets more challenging sometimes. Sometimes things happen at this stage in your family life that aren't so great. And you don't necessarily want to be sharing about them on Facebook with everybody. Um, sometimes it can be hard you can go through hard stages. It can be a very hard phase you might be going through with a teenager, with a young adult child in your life. Um, but I want you to know that even if you aren't readily finding resources and people openly sharing about some of these struggles, know you are not alone in it. For me, that's been one of the most important parts of sharing about this stage of our family life is knowing myself that I'm not alone in it, hearing from so many people um, that they too 
are struggling personally with this transition in their lives. Because, you know, every stage of parenting, we're often focused on our kids, right? Like how to get them through second grade, how to prepare them for the sacraments, how to help them start high school, how to help them apply to college. But then when they're growing up and even grown up and they need us in different ways, that could be a tough transition for us. It could be a tough transition for moms and dads to figure out how am I supposed to step into this new role? How can I best love my kids through this newest stage of life? How am I going to come to terms with a different kind of identity inside of my motherhood at this new stage of parenting, at this new stage of family life? It can be very challenging and it can feel lonely and isolating when you don't see other people readily sharing about that. So that is part of what motivated me to write my newest book, Giving Thanks and Letting Go, Reflections on the Gift of Motherhood. And like I told you at the top of the show, I am going to be reading the first chapter from that book so you can get a little sample of it here exclusively on the Girlfriends podcast. But first, a quick break. I'm Danielle Bean, and you're listening to The Girlfriends Podcast. If you're looking for a way to learn more about your Catholic faith, I invite you to check out the Ascension Presents YouTube channel. You're going to find tons of free videos featuring Catholic presenters like Matt Frad, Leah Darrow, Jackie and Bobby Angel, and Emily Wilson. Go to youtube.com slash Ascension Presents. That's youtube.com slash Ascension Presents. And if you like what you see, please share and subscribe. Welcome back. On this week's show, we've been talking about parenting big kids, which is pulled from the themes of my newest book, Giving Thanks and Letting Go, Reflections on the Gift of Motherhood, a book which, as I shared at the top of the show, was very much inspired by the fact that I realize I have a different perspective on life, on marriage, on motherhood. Now, after being married for 25 years and having kids who are married and kids in college, kids working full-time jobs, um, still some kids at home, but many who are otherwise living lives of their own, I found I really had a different perspective on lots of things about life, on my faith, and even my own identity as a mother, as a wife, as a daughter of God. And so those are the things that I was looking to share inside of my newest book, Giving Thanks and Letting Go. And I told you that I had permission to read a chapter from it. Ave Maria Press is the publisher, and they've given me permission to share the reading of chapter one here on the Girlfriends podcast. So we're going to close out today's show with a reading for you that I hope will give you a taste of the kind of content and the very personal kind of sharing that I'm doing inside of this newest book. Chapter one, saying goodbye. What do you think? Will this be something I want in Florida? I looked at the light green sweater my 18-year-old daughter held up for my opinion. Probably, I told her. It will be nice to have light layers as options. It was late August, and the days were drawing close to the time when our second daughter and fourth oldest child, Juliet, would be leaving for college. She had chosen to attend the same school her older brother was attending, and though we loved this option for her, the school was in southern Florida, more than 1,500 miles away from our New Hampshire home. This was a big move for her and for us. Even if I wanted to distract myself from her imminent departure, it would have been impossible. The evidence of it was lying in piles all over my house. Books stacked on the living room floor, laundry strewn in all directions, waiting to be sorted into piles of taking and not taking. 
lamps, rugs, and small appliances she had thoughtfully collected and stored throughout the summer. There were piles of old things, too. She had pulled these items from the deepest innards of her bedroom as she gutted dresser drawers, desks, and closets those late summer days. Academic and athletic medals and trophies, a basketball mouthguard, bits and pieces of Halloween costumes, a broken snow globe, and ragged t-shirts from road races and cross-country meets. Life in pieces lay all around us, on counters and cabinets, on floors and couches. I watched Juliet sit among those piles in the living room the day before she left, sorting and storing, and then neatly packing chosen items into bags and boxes she would squeeze into every spare corner of her brother's Honda Civic in the driveway. And I wondered how on earth we got here. It was a cliche mom moment, if ever there was one. If two dozen years of motherhood have taught me anything, though, it is that cliche mom moments are cliche for a reason. They're cliche because they are a necessary part of life, an important rite of passage, and we share these moments in common. Our details may differ, but we all have our own version of weeping at the sight of our children as they change and grow and prepare to leave us, wondering how on earth it all went by so fast. I reveled in my cliche mom moment that day, allowing myself to sit down in it and remember a little, even though I knew I was breaking an unsaid rule of mothering adult children. Did you know you are not supposed to recall your child's baby years when they are leaving for college, getting married, or otherwise beginning their own lives separate from you? Do not do that, an older, wiser friend once warned me. Do not look at old pictures or think of them as toddlers or you will never stop crying. And yet, this is just what we mothers do. When our second child, Eamon, prepared to live away at school years ago, I spent the entire summer before he left fighting off flashbacks of his chubby toddler hands reaching for my own. I remembered the tiny sneakers he wore, the toy dump truck he loved, and the lisping way he would ask us to read to him from his favorite toolbox book. And my friend was right. I did not stop crying. I cried all summer long, sometimes alone in the shower, sometimes behind sunglasses at the baseball field, and sometimes, embarrassingly, while waiting in line at the post office. I cried because I couldn't always push away the memories of Eamon as a baby, as a toddler, as a seven-year-old or as a preteen. Actually, I didn't want to. Even if it hurt to recall what was gone and what had changed and what was leaving and changing before my very eyes, I wanted to relive and remember every beautiful moment and detail that I could. Because I saw that summer, more clearly than before, that family memories are beautiful. They are a gift. You do not push away a gift. And so that day, I let myself remember Juliet as a baby. We were building our house that year, and she was the infant in my belly and then in my arms as we cleared trees and brush, dug a foundation, and framed a tiny cape in the woods. It was a busy, stressful time for our young family, and Juliet was amiably along for the ride. She didn't care for slings, but she loved to be in my arms with her fingers in my mouth. Yes, it was weird. It was a funny habit she had developed while nursing. As she nursed, her fingers would explore my face and wind up in my mouth. It was a cute quirk at first, one I absentmindedly accepted, but then it became an entrenched habit, one that soothed her, and one she wanted to engage in whenever she could. Baby fingers are cute. Sometimes we like to kiss them and think we could just eat them up. But baby fingers in your mouth? All the time? That was something different. 
I had never heard of a baby doing this kind of thing, and it seemed an odd and often embarrassing or annoying way for a baby to soothe herself. And yet, here was baby Juliet, laying claim to her space in my arms and even the inside of my mouth, all day, every day. I always did savor that first year of their lives, when my babies were so very small and so very dependent upon me. Most of my babies spent that first year of life, that precious time when they are small enough to pack up and bring along anywhere, no more than an arm's length away from me. It was precious and exhausting, sometimes so exhausting that I would collapse in a puddle of tears the moment I got baby Juliet down to sleep at night. I would stretch my aching body out upon my bed, revel in the fact that no human being was presently touching me, and cry hot tears of depletion and frustration. I had no time. I had no space. I was no one. Sometimes, when a child is so small and spends his or her days so close to you, it's difficult to know where they end and you begin. We lose ourselves in them. And of course, this is God's plan, that each of us should lose ourselves for the sake of another. Motherhood is a great practice for this, because our children are born wanting and needing and taking. Children take our comforts. Have you ever tried to drink a cup of tea, only to find yourself distracted and forgetting it in all corners of the house, and then reheating it and re-reheating it throughout your day? I think of those cold cups of tea when I would find them on counters and windowsills at the end of my days as badges of motherhood. I'm sure other people forget cups of tea, but no one can quite do it like a mom can. Children take our space. They crawl into our laps and our beds. They reach into our plates to help themselves. They cling to us like tiny monkeys sometimes, crying and putting fingers in our hair, in our eyes, and even in our mouths to soothe themselves. Children take our identity. I was once Danielle, star student. I used to be Danielle, wife of Dan. I used to be Danielle, hard worker, organizer, creative thinker, baker, writer, and doer of all the things. But then I became Mama. And Mama was bigger, but also much smaller than anything else I had ever been. Mama was an enormous thing, the sun around which my small children's worlds revolved. But Mama was also a hidden thing, a smaller thing, with so little to show for my efforts to the outside world. I remember when my youngest was small, he used the word mama for everything. When he fell and hurt himself, mama meant comfort me. When he couldn't quite reach his ball that had rolled under the couch, mama meant help me get what I want. When he was climbing into his high chair, mama meant I'm hungry, feed me. When he was tired, whiny, and sniffly nosed, mama meant make all the bad stuff go away now. Mama is everything to a baby. Mama is the whole world. It is flattering and exhausting. Mama is everything, but sometimes it feels like nothing. To a baby, mama is all there is, but sometimes it can make us feel that we don't exist. On days when I was tired of the touching, the tantrums, the griping, the grabbing, the messes and the mayhem, I would think of old ladies who stopped me in the grocery store and told me to enjoy every minute because it all goes by so fast. And I knew that they were liars. Those days did not go by fast. Some of them went by so painfully slowly that I was on the brink of a breakdown by the time my husband arrived home from work at 6 p.m. I would hand him the worst of the children and retreat to the bathroom to cry. I heard it said once, the days are long, but the years are short. 
I certainly found that to be true on that last day, as I helped Juliet sort through a box of old papers to determine which were worth saving. I found it to be true when we stayed up late that night, singing along to favorite songs and dancing in the living room, being so tired, but not yet going to bed, wanting to delay the inevitable. Early that late August morning, as the beginnings of sunlight made their way across our field and into the corners of the house we built with a baby in tow, Juliet squeezed one last box into the car and then stood awkwardly in the kitchen, expecting some mom tears as we said goodbye. I can't remember when she stopped putting her fingers in my mouth, but it would appear that she did. I can't remember the last time she came to my room, needing me in the middle of the night, but that never happens anymore. I can't remember the last time she needed help getting dressed or called me from the potty, but those things also ceased. I can close my eyes, and Juliet is tiny again, as if it were just this morning that I put her down for a nap in her crib with the pink sheets and the stuffed bunny. I just dressed her in that ruffled dress and paused for a moment to take in the sweet softness of her skin, her dimpled elbows, and her tiny perfect body. I just now thought for a moment of the enormity of being mama to this tiny dependent creature and wavered beneath the weight of it all. I just did those things. I don't remember if I had an elaborate speech planned for that morning, but I certainly didn't give one. Be good and have fun, I told Juliet as I hugged her goodbye. Remember, the rest was caught in my throat. But that's okay, because I am not sure what I was saying anyway. Remember what? That we love you? Remember who you are? Remember all the important lessons we taught you and even the ones that maybe we forgot to teach you and you had to learn the hard way? Remember to wash your hands, brush your teeth, eat salads, and say please and thank you? Remember that God loves you and has a special plan for your life? It was all of these things and none of these things that I wanted Juliet to remember. There wasn't anything all that meaningful I could say while standing in the kitchen with my daughter with a packed and running car waiting in the driveway. We had had 18 years to talk. This wasn't the end of all the things, but it was the end of many things. And in that moment, I was left to wonder if all that I had said and done was enough. If during all those exhausting days where I was mama to a tiny, needy Juliet, if I had done enough, said enough, given enough, taught enough, loved enough. In my exhaustion, did I fully appreciate the privilege of being the mama she needed so very much, so very often, so very intensely? Probably not. But in some moments, I surely did. And in some moments, I still do. I think that is what I want Juliet to remember. I want her to know that in spite of loving her with all of my being, in the end, it wasn't perfect, and I wasn't enough. I came up short, as human beings always do. I want her to know that she was made for more. She was made for God, who fills in every space where we are lacking. She was made for God, who rushes into the places where we find ourselves failing and completes the important work that we begin. The work that sometimes overwhelms us. The work that depletes us, exhausts us and robs us of our identity sometimes. And I want her to remember grace. I want her to know that grace is real, and that without it, 
we can do nothing. This is what I want her to remember. That big things and small things can hurt us, disappoint us, and leave us aching and wanting. But God has an answer for all of that. That only in God can we find completion and perfection, even as we struggle through hard things. I watched through the window as Juliet climbed into the car, fastened her seatbelt, and looked ahead, smiling into the sun. Oh, Mama, my husband Dan said gently, pulling me into a hug as the car drove away. It's going to be okay. I sobbed into his chest, and I knew that he was right. That was Chapter 1 of Giving Thanks and Letting Go, Reflections on the Gift of Motherhood, newly available from Ave Maria Press, also available on Amazon. I want to thank you for listening and sharing with me here today. I want to thank you for all the ways you support and encourage everything that I do here at the Girlfriends Podcast. But most importantly, thank you for showing up. You being here is a true gift to me, and I'm so grateful for your presence. Until next time, I hope you enjoy your day, and God bless your week. Girlfriends is a collaboration between DanielleBean.com and Ascension, the leader in Catholic faith formation. 